Hello, and welcome to episode 3 of the PhD cast by the CBIS GPA. I'm Micah, and today I'm joined by Megan, Anna, and Nate, and we're going to talk about imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome is defined basically as someone who is doubting their abilities and feeling like a fraud, and it disproportionately affects people who are high achieving, such as PhD students. And so it's for people who are having struggles where they're not really recognizing how much they are achieving. And I know that I, for a fact, have felt like that before. And so let's get into it. Yeah, so um, talking about imposter syndrome, I definitely had a lot of imposter syndrome coming into grad school. Um, I think for me, it was a lot of fears about my performance and if I was going to be able to um, perform well in the field of biomedical engineering because my background was mechanical engineering and I didn't have a lot of the biology background as a lot of my classmates did. I remember talking with them about all the classes they took in undergrad and I had, you know, very basic biology compared to a lot of these students and I was really worried that I wasn't going to be able to understand, you know, the papers, the literature in my field and um, just in general that I wasn't going to be able to keep up. And I found that um, it really affected my performance after a while too, you know, like being able to read the literature and having to look up all the definitions for all these big words and stuff that I wasn't really familiar with. Um, I started to get kind of this overwhelming fear, right, that I wasn't going to be able to um, perform well to do the research that my advisor was asking me to do. And um, I think it really um, was pervasive for a long time. But one thing that was really good about my particular lab and my advisor is that we had a lot of open conversations about it. And actually that um, fall, there was a series at RPI where we talked about imposter syndrome. And um, that really helped me get over it, actually, and, and realized that it was a thing, that this is what I was experiencing. And um, not to really be afraid of it anymore, but just to understand the feelings that I was having and to realize that um, this is normal and a lot of people go through the same thing. And then I think the biggest thing was just to be able to talk about it with other people, um, with my classmates and my lab mates, even with my advisor. I think that's huge if you can be able to talk to it with your advisor. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with Nathan on a lot of those points. I guess uh, another thing that I personally postgraduate school have run into with imposter syndrome, um, now that I have a PhD and people call me doctor, is like, you do feel some sense of accomplishment. But um, one of the things that actually I'm realizing now fed into my imposter syndrome that you wouldn't expect to be so much of a negative thing. Still to this day, most of my friends also have their PhD. And when that's the case, you find you devalue it um, where you think that that's the norm. Um, And you think to yourself like, oh, I'm not that special. Like everyone else I know has a PhD, like whatever. Like it's not that big of a deal. I ran into that even after graduate school where people were like, oh, this is amazing. You know, good for you. And I'm sitting here thinking like, it's literally like everyone in my life is doing the same thing. So I didn't see it as being particularly special. Um, so it's not something that like, oh, when you graduate, it's just going to poof, go away. And all of a sudden you feel like great because you have your PhD. Like it's definitely something that you kind of have to adapt and cope with, um, depending on like how much you experience it in grad school. Um, I think Nathan also remembered or reminded me of um this can particularly affect, I feel, people who enter graduate school super young. 
Um, it's, it's not super uncommon, especially for people in STEM to go straight from bachelor's to PhD. That's pretty normal for the most part. But I have experienced some classmates who've graduated college super early and they've come into a PhD at like age 20. Uh, and that can be a huge, um, a huge moment of, oh my God, do I actually belong here? What's going on? Uh, for them. And I guess the other thing I wanted to mention, and maybe this can lead into Megan um, speaking a little bit, was uh, it's especially if you're like a minority or a woman in a field that's predominantly um, white or predominantly like another race or a different gender, that can also add into it as well, uh, especially for me. And I'm sure for, for Megan as well, because she's in engineering, is it's most of the faculty I was dealing with were male, um, and most of my classmates were also male. Um, obviously, I don't think we should spend a ton of time on this, but I just want to point out that there's not only is it, um, it's been studied that imposter syndrome also affects minorities and women more than the average person, um, but maybe Megan can speak to uh, that experience a little bit as well. I would say um, I've actually heard from quite a few people, and I've seen a few talks that kind of talk specifically about um, the minority experience and how that feeds into imposter syndrome. Um, there was actually this workshop at a conference I was recently at that was imposter, that was about imposter syndrome. Um, and a couple of those talks really highlighted that, you know, when you're part of a minority group, um, you don't really feel like you belong and that obviously will feed into imposter syndrome. Um, but what I find, I think what you said, Anna, what I found was really interesting was how at different career levels, imposter syndrome is still there, right? So like, you know, we kind of tell ourselves, all right, once I get that PhD, once I'm out, I'll start to feel better. But then, like Anna said, I guess you don't. And then, you know, when you start talking to faculty or like well-established faculties or tenured faculty or even department chairs, they still feel it. I, um, at that same conference I was just at, I heard um, a tenure-track professor at a different university saying how she is still very um, doubtful about her mentoring style, her advising style, and how she still has to deal with imposter syndrome. And I think listening to things like that, like hearing that imposter syndrome is a thing at all career levels, honestly, it kind of helps a little bit. It makes you feel a little better in knowing that it's not just you dealing with it. I don't know. I just, I always think that's so interesting to hear about faculty talk about imposter syndrome. Yeah, for sure. So one of the, one of the biggest things I think that, uh, where it creeps into my life comes at the end of a week where I failed my experiment. I've, I feel like I've got no good data. I've, I've spent a whole week accomplishing zilch. And then I feel like, oh, everyone else is doing so good. Everyone else has like got great stuff going on. Everything is perfect. You know, the grass is always greener on the other side. And then, you know, once a month, I prepare my, my research update for like lab meetings. I'm like, oh wait, I forgot I did all this stuff. Oh yeah, I actually have quite a bit of data for, for this month long period. Turns out maybe I wasn't doing, doing so bad, you know? And so like taking time to recognize, oh yeah, I did accomplish something in this time frame. The one experiment failing does not negate another experiment working just fine, but it, it feels like it does in the moment. And so sometimes stepping back for me is really helpful in that case. 
And then another thing where I know I have an issue is comparing my lab to other labs. Where like, I work with cells, and so I think things just are gonna go slower for me than somebody who just use, is using data set stuff. And like, their PhD is just as hard as mine, but because they are able to access those data sets, they might have an easier time putting together a paper than me who's gonna, gonna fail a couple Western blots in the process, you know? And so realizing that not all labs are created equal and like their timing of papers and how that's gonna work is also like a really big deal, I think for me especially. Yeah, Micah makes a really good point about perspective. Um, for me, I dealt with imposter syndrome kind of on and off throughout my, my career and as my PhD. Um, it took me 4.5 years to graduate. Um, I would say my worst year was my third year uh, when it came to imposter syndrome because that's when you're expected to, well, in my field, that's when you're expected to publish and like go to conferences and, uh, you know, all these other things that are like the fruits of your labor. And um, I just kind of felt like I was always behind and wasn't doing super well. And it's funny because like right when I got to graduation and or after I graduated, I had a lot of people in my department reach out to me and be like, oh my gosh, you were such like a role model for me. Like you always did so well. So basically moral of the story is if you, if there is someone who like works with you or like is in a similar situation to you, don't hesitate to give them that encouragement because I think back like, it was so nice that they said those things and everyone was very like supportive when I graduated, but I was like, I really wish someone had told me this my third year and I would have felt so much better, but it's like, you don't see what like, you don't see how other people are seeing you, for example, like maybe your advisor or, um, or your postdocs or your coworkers. So just like think about perspective and like how you fit into everything because how you view yourself is most likely like 99% sure that's not how other people are viewing you. And that's really what you're concerned about for imposter syndrome is how do I stack up with other quote unquote successful people? So that's a really good point about perspective and really taking a step back to look at what you've accomplished. It's really important. I, I love that. I agree with what you and Micah said. Um, as someone who is in my third year uh, and now feeling the great burden of imposter syndrome, um, I think you're right. Like the, the only thing I keep doing is thinking about how other people are publishing already. Some people have three papers out already and I'm still like, okay, still getting data for this first paper. Um, and I think what has really helped me actually is having conversations like this with people in my year. Um, I think that my year in my department is actually really good at talking to each other and doing serious conversations like, how are you feeling about your research? Like, how do you actually feel about your progress? And then you're able to kind of talk to them and be like, no, like this is what it comes off as to me. Like you, you look like you're actually making a lot of progress. And I think those conversations really help. Um, I think just having that support from that cohort that you might be comparing yourself with is super helpful. Um, I, I have to remind myself a lot that every lab is different and every project is different and some people are able to obtain their data or their samples a lot quicker than others. Um, and you know every, every PhD is different. I mean, that's the whole point of a PhD. So your progress like is, is completely different. So um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's wild to see how many people have imposter syndrome because you just kind of have to talk to them to realize that. I think one of the most, on that same note, like one of the most underutilized 
things that I don't think a lot of graduate programs are doing is having, I know RPI has one, obviously it's probably like on hiatus because of uh, the pandemic, but there are like graduate student support groups. So from what I understand is it's like a group therapy session of being like, here's why I feel terrible about the lack of work I've gotten done this week. And everyone talks about it. And um, like Megan said, it's really important to like have perspectives of other people too, and get a, a feel for like how they're doing as well. Um, and having that support. And this is another really important reason why you need to pick a department that works for you that has the type of companionship you're looking for is you don't want someone to like be looking for you to do badly because they want to, you know, take, take advantage of the situation. You want people who are like, oh, don't worry. Like, I also feel the same way. So I totally, totally agree with that. Yeah, that's a great point. I think, you know, having a, a department, um, a program that's really cooperative and encouraging, but also like within your lab too, you know, I think it's really important to have that sort of that cooperative and encouraging environment in the lab as well. That's really help, what helped me, I think, through my first year. And um, even, you know, now during the second year, I've moved um, into a lab that's mostly computational, which means high output of papers, right? Like some of my lab mates are doing two or three papers a year. Um, so that's, again, like a, a, fresh wave, a fresh wave of imposter syndrome for me, just because um, it's just a new uh, outlet of research. But again, I have to be um, keep in mind that that type of research is, you know, different expectations and... Um, yeah, but but my lab mates again are are extremely encouraging and helpful, and I think that makes the world a difference for me. And then to just build off off that, I think one other area where I I know I was was struggling when I started, especially was like I didn't know that I wanted to do a PhD program until I had done undergrad research, and I had waited on that until after my junior year, and so. There are all these people who who had a much better idea than me, that they they knew well in advance that this is what they wanted to do. They had done research for forever. They had worked in all of these really cool places. And then I'm like, yeah, one summer during the year that senior year two, I didn't didn't feel like I stacked up, uh, to say the least. And so I think realizing that it's okay to not have known as soon as somebody else because I'm, I'm still in a PhD program and like I am able to do research. The fact that I didn't start research right after year one of undergrad is not inhibiting my ability to do research now. And so keeping, keeping in mind that like it's, it's totally okay that everyone is from a different background is gonna have different perspectives on all of these things is gonna be really important for recognizing when you yourself are feeling like a fraud, that it's not necessarily that you, you're you not a fraud, you are in a completely different situation than you know every person next to you. I think we also tend to use, especially publications and writing as the kind of uh, meets and bounds of like how successful you are. I'll also, this is something people are always like shocked at when I share, just like given the career that I went into after, after my PhD and everything, but none of my first author papers to this date are published. So when I was applying for jobs, all I had was my one second author paper from my second year of grad school. And I'll be honest with you. I don't think my employer even cared that I had that when I got hired. So 
obviously some some career paths are going to be more interested in that type of thing but after having that postgraduate uh perspective of being like no one cares about my papers now that i have my phd this is really weird at least in my field um it was like why did i put so much of my effort and like mental health on getting a paper published um so we pick it's like we arbitrary not even arbitrarily but like in academia we pick these little things and say oh if i don't have enough of those then i'm a failure and it's just not true like i have colleagues who graduated with like six papers and they're in a in a profession that they don't like and they're just like oh i should have never taken this job and then i have friends who graduated with no papers and they're very happy in their career and they're very successful and it can go both ways so I think another trick is to just not pick at those little things that you think might matter a ton when maybe they don't actually. I think that's also very important. Do you guys do you guys ever feel like feel imposter syndrome more after someone like praises or compliments you? I feel like that's like another characteristic of imposter syndrome, right? Is you know, you feel like you're faking it and you don't deserve the praise you're getting, right? So I, I personally um, really felt imposter syndrome again at the start of my third year. I had just done my candidacy exam. I wasn't expecting to have done my candidacy exam that early. That was never the plan. And so I, I you know, I did it. I passed. Yay, woohoo! Um, but everyone else seemed to think that meant I was so much closer to graduating. But in reality, I just had to do it a year earlier. Um, it, it meant absolutely nothing about my research progress. So then I started to freak out and I was like, oh my God, everyone thinks I'm way ahead of myself, but I have nothing. I don't know what's going on anymore. Um, and I don't know if you guys have felt that. I mean, like it could apply to anything, like a, a conference abstract present, presenting really early or something like that. Um, or even like doing well in a class. Like, I don't know what that would even, that would even mean for a PhD, but like, um, I feel like I really struggle after I get some kind of praise from a colleague or my advisor. I'm like, I don't deserve this praise. I have done nothing for you. Yeah, I think my favorite thing, well, my brain's favorite thing to do, for example, when I passed candidacy was, oh, they only passed me because they felt bad for me. Or they were just like, oh, you know, oh, this is really rough, but I don't want to embarrass this person. That's my brain's like personal go-to. Like, oh, they just feel bad for me. Like they're making, they're making uh, excuses to like keep me in the program. And then looking back, I was like, why? Like, why did I ever think this? If they thought I was an embarrassment to the program, they would have failed me out and been like, leave. Like, I don't, I don't understand why we do the things we do, but. That's my personal one that happens a lot, for sure. I think I, I feel the same way for sure, Megan, where it's like, oh, somebody tells me that I've, I've done a good job. It's like, oh, I've tricked them into thinking that I'm doing good, when in reality, I'm not. And like, I, I don't understand why that's how I think, because it doesn't make sense in the slightest, but I mean, it's it's just how it is and so our brains are weird don't trust them <laughs> like that's that's the, what i'm getting out of this oh man so does anybody else have have some some last second opinions on imposter syndrome we need to touch on or we missed all right i think that's going to wrap us up for episode three of the phd cast if you guys have any questions you want us to answer 
We would be happy to, so just send those questions to cbisgpa at rpi.edu, or you can message us on one of our various social media platforms, such as Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And with that, we hope all your MATLAB code runs on the first try and that all your differences are significant. Have a good one.